We are in the sixth week of a series uh, that we do each year. Uh, it's called Pathways, and it's a spiritual transformation series. So if you've been on that, uh, great. Um, if you're new to it, basically what it is is we uh, take several uh, weeks at the in each fall, and we set it aside to really come together as a community and to move closer to the heart and mind of God. And we do that by in our corporate worship gatherings, that we do that in growth groups, that we have uh, devotional, daily devotionals written by our community for our community. If you don't have one of those, I think there's a few left at the Pathways uh, table. We have growth groups that you can get involved in. We also have weekly connectivity events, connecting people with community, um, which Dan was talking about earlier. And this week we have uh, Serve Tallahassee on Saturday, and that's going to be really great. And uh, so a whole bunch of different things. Uh, it, through this series, uh, at the beginning of it, we introduced a new image to you, and each week I've been going through that just to make sure that we all know uh, what that is, and that image at its center has an arrow with uh, three different things coming into the arrow, and that's to represent the three things that we as followers of Christ and we as a church are called to do in Matthew 28, and that is to make, mature, and mobilize fully devoted followers of Christ. And then in the inner circle, we see a circle with five breaks, and, and that's to represent uh, what a fully devoted follower of Christ looks like, and that's someone who loves God with all of their heart, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength, and that they love others uh, equally as their, as their self. And then on the outer ring, there's seven breaks, and that is to represent uh, the seven values, the DNA string of our church, and that's what we've been going over over the past six weeks. The first week, we looked at intentional, then we looked at culturally current, uh, then we looked at hospitality, and then authenticity. Last week, we looked at relational, and uh, this week, we're going to be looking at grace, and then uh, next week, we're going to be looking at excellence. And then the week after that, we're all going to be at Leon High School all together. Yeah, very cool. And uh, that's going to be at, uh, uh, that's 1031 at Very Clever. We're going to have it at 1031 as well. So it's very easy. And uh, join us, uh, bring some friends, uh, even if they haven't been on the Pathways journey. It's just going to be a great time just celebrating what God is doing in us and through us. So this week as we look at grace, you know, grace is kind of one of those things that we hear a lot about and maybe we feel that we understand it, but in practice it's very, very difficult. Like the definition of grace is unmerited favor. Basically, you are allowed and, are, and brought in and, and afforded something even though you do not deserve it. Now, I love the local church. I've given my life to the local church. Having said that, grace is one of those things that at least in the religion of American Christianity, that we, do, we are very poor 
at. I'm not talking about our, our particular local church, but, but as a whole. In fact, we, we are known collectively uh, for how we treat our wounded. How ruthlessly we treat our wounded. In, in warfare, you know, there's this idea if you're at, at war with someone... You know, you have your like your little gun, right? And you have the enemy over here. I'm the enemy. I don't know. And you know, you have your helmet on and and all that kind of stuff. One thing that the enemy uh, or in warfare, one of the most horrific things that has developed in warfare is what is called the mine. And basically what happens is that, that these mines are, are, are not intended to kill you. When somebody steps on one, they are intended to wound you. They're intended to, to inflict enough pain to make you very, you can't move on your own to blow off a leg or a limb or to cut you to, to shreds, but not to kill you. Now, why wouldn't an enemy want you dead? Because they know this. That an army, if you kill somebody, then they're dead and they're no longer a bother. But if you wound them, a compassionate army will care for their wounded. And when you care for your wounded, that takes a lot more people and it slows down an army and it makes them less effective. Now, an army that does not take care of their wounded are known as being hard, hardened and soulless and evil. And unfortunately, I'm just speaking truth here, in a lot of people's minds, one of the hallmarks of the religion of American Christianity is we shoot our wounded. We just do. And it grieves me to know that that is what we do to one another. That, that when we originally uh, launched E3, one of my desires, and still is one of my desires, is is to reach out and, and communicate the gospel, the good news, in a meaningful and understandable way to those who, who have a God-shaped void in their life and that, who were designed to have a relationship with their Father in heaven. And I am so about that. But you know what? Something else that has happened in many of you who are followers of Christ before you heard the gospel here, you found yourself here because your faith community shot you. And one of the greatest blessings about this place, I think, is it's been this kind of island of grace. And I can't tell you how many times that, that people who, who have gone through the, the pain of divorce
and as as their lives and their relationships are just torn to shreds and they've lost their their social network and they've maybe lost their kids and they've they've been ripped out of the arms you know of of what they thought was going to be an eternity of a relationship and they find themselves injured and wounded and they only have one place to turn and they turn to their church and they get shot or those of us who suffer or or have been entrusted with anxiety or depression I think I would know how to spell that, right? And we go to our church and and, and it's like we just kind of get cost, tossed to the side. That there's for some reason that there's no room, there's no grace in the in the in the local church and a lot of local churches for people who deal with anxiety and depression or people who found themselves in in prison and who have completely you know kind of broken the law and just just really missed the mark that that they're never welcomed into the community and one of the most beautiful things about about grace is is this is that, that, you know what, this is a place that those of us who are wounded and we've stepped on the, the Claymore mine of life somewhere along the way, that we are willing to slow our pace to help heal and pick up and encourage the wounded. And... I've had been criticized a lot over over the years about about this. I've actually had people walk up to me on their you know on their way out of the church of our local church and just say, "Mark, you talk too much about grace. It's grace, 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 grace." And what you need to do is to tell people to get their life right and tell them this and tell them that because they need to be told. Well, you know what? I don't think anyone who's gone through the agony of divorce needs to be told that that was a painful experience. Or someone who can't sleep at night because their heart is going a thousand miles per hour, that, that you know what? There's something going on in their life and they, and they need to bring healthy balance into their life. Or somebody who's sitting in prison, you know, just maybe they realize that they messed up. They don't need to be told anything. They need to be shown the grace, the unmerited favor. They need their lives spoken into and a commitment given to them that if they are willing, that we are willing to walk through the desert with them so they can get to the other side and live out the life that God has envisioned for them. I usually teach out of the New Living Translation, but I 
read the, the, the message as well. And in Matthew chapter 11, out of the message in verse 28, Jesus says this, he says, are you tired? How many of us are tired? We're just tired. It's like probably the number one answer. How are you doing? I'm tired. So are you tired? Yeah, probably 90% of us. Yeah, I'm tired. Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? I'm burned out on religion. I just got to tell you. Burned out on religion. He says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your Come with me. Not do this, 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 and this. And then you can hang out with me. No, come with me. Paula was telling me a beautiful story. Hopefully I can share this, Paula. Um, about how she was at a skillet concert. And, and uh, somebody came up to her and said, Hey, you're not meant to be here. You're meant to be backstage with, our, with us. She's like, eee. You know, this, this idea that, you know what, somehow we think if we've gone through, we've stepped on the Claymore mind of life and, and, and we're hurting and we're out there. This, this kind of beautiful picture that Jesus Christ died on the cross to give you a backstage pass. To give you a seat at the table for a party, actually, that is being thrown in your honor. Because Jesus says that when just one person who has stepped on a mind, some person who has fallen away from him, comes back in, that there is a party. He says, look. Get away with me. Run with me. And I, you'll recover your life. I will show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Do you hear the relational aspect of this? This is not, you know what, do this, do this, do this, and do this. It's walk with me, work with me. Watch how I do it. You will be enlightened and moved to outbursts of love and good deeds and be the conduit of my love and mercy and grace to a lost and hurting world, not because you're checking something off a list, but because you are spending time with me. And then he goes on to say, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That has messed me up all week. It has messed me up. I've been just like mulling that over. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. You ever hear something and you, you know it's important, but you don't know why? It's been like stirring in my soul all week. And I had the opportunity to sit down with Eric Case. He's like, how are you doing? And, and I'm just like, I'm having trouble understanding this, this the power of this statement that Jesus said to learn the unforced rhythm of grace. 
And I just said, I, I, I know that's an important statement, but I, I don't know what it means. He's like, dummy, I'll, let me tell you. Let me tell you what it means. So he, he enlightened me. He's like, you know, when you're listening to a song and it just kind of envelops you, and you don't even realize that you start tapping your foot or you're singing along, it just, you're enveloped into it. No one tells you you have to tap your foot. No one tells you you have to sing along or clap. It's unforced. You're just enveloped by the movement of the rhythm. And Jesus is saying, by spending time with me, by marinating in my love and my grace, that, that you will be enveloped by the unforced rhythms of grace. And then he says, look, I'm not going to lay heavy or ill-fitting or ill-fitting thing on you. Keep company with me. Again, relational. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. You know, last week we talked about, about relational and, and how, how there's tension and, and kind of our, we have our relational balloon. And when we hold things in and we don't speak into one another's lives and when we are hurt, it's like putting air into our balloon. And each time we we aren't open and honest with with someone about our hurt and our pain and then something else happens it's like putting another burst of air into the balloon and it makes our lives our tension all that more and what happens is as it takes up this space that the our relational balloon becomes more and more vulnerable to bursting. I was on Facebook this week. Well, I'm on it every day, but one particular, I have a friend in California, and uh, he has a little boy, and he also has a very little house, and uh, as most people uh, do in the beach cities. And he was talking about picking up his, his kid from, from preschool, and uh, decides to go to 7-Eleven. You know what 7-Eleven is? Yeah, 7-Eleven, okay. And, uh, and at 7-Eleven, they have Slurpees. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. You know, holy cow, man, we get amens for Slurpees, but <laughs> that's fine, you know? So you got Slurpees, but they have this, this thing called uh, that, that's a Coke Slurpee. So not only do you get the cold, but you get the caffeine and you get the sugar. So my brilliant friend decides to have his five-year-old preschooler take him by 7-Eleven, jack him up on caffeine and sugar, then take him home to his small little house. <laughs> and he was looking for some, some sympathy on Facebook about how his, his son is bouncing off the walls and that there was just no room for him there and he had to get him out of the house. And 
The same thing is, is, is true with, with grace that, that, you know, there's human grace, but there's the grace of God that is, that is like a hyped up version of grace that, that it cannot be contained. In Romans 5, chapter 2, Paul writes this, We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that He has already thrown open His doors to us. Isn't that amazing? You think I'm gonna go, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to church. I'm gonna go and seek out God. And wouldn't it be amazing if somebody who who had stepped on a clayborne mind and and by the the only way that they think to be able to seek out God, which we know is not true, but but in their mind it's like I'm gonna go to church today, I'm gonna get right with God, and they fling open the doors of this place, and you know what they experience? That God is already there with His doors open saying, where have you been? Yeah. I am here. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory. Standing tall and shouting our praise. The interaction of grace and religion is like this water and balloon. If grace is the water and the balloon is conditional religion, the more air or conditions you put in the balloon, the less room there is for grace. And what happens is the grace flows out and then we start to see that we stop living the life that God has intended for us and we start living under a conditional relationships that are taking up the space that God has made for us, the wide open spaces of grace, and we've contained a five-year-old hyped up on caffeine and sugar, and we wonder why our churches are broken. In Matthew 18, we were in Matthew 18 last week talking about relational, how to connect with one another. And Jesus was saying, hey, go first to the person. Then bring some other people. And then take them before the church and treat them as tax collectors and pagans. But we also looked at that, hey, those were Jesus' best friends. And that messed us all up. And, and so we, we go to the next thing that Jesus is talking about. So Peter comes to him after that and he says, Lord, so how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? See, you know, Peter thinks that he's being overly pious here because the religious teaching of the day was three times. Three strikes. It was like the original three strikes and you're out. You know, hey, you forgive somebody three times. On the third time, it's done. They're done. You're done with them. So he's coming and going, you know, hey, you know, me, Peter, you know, I'm, I'm cool and, and, and I'm so gracious and I'm going to forgive somebody seven times. And this is what Jesus says, nope, not seven times, but 70 times by seven, 70 times seven. Now, who just did the math in their head? You completely missed the point. That is the literal religion of 
God, how many times do I have to forgive? Originally it was three. Okay, I can do that. You know, three, three, three. All right. And, oh, seven. Da, 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 da. Oh, Jesus says I have to forgive somebody 490 times. All right, well, you know, seven down, 483 to go. But I'm counting. That's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was trying to communicate this this wide open spaces of grace. That yes, we have conversations with one another to encourage them to outbursts of love and good deeds to enable them to live out the life that God has envisioned for them. But as we see in Matthew 18 in the first part that we talked about last week and as we see this week, the desire of God is always, 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 you can put this in your Bible, you can put this in your notes, always restoration of the relationship. Period. Jesus didn't think that Peter probably got it, so he goes on and tells a story, which I'm going to tell you. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who is God who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought to him that owed him millions of dollars. Like with inflation, 2,000 years of inflation, that was like trillions, like a lot of money. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed to pay the debt. But Mark, what about the wide open spaces of grace? We're getting there. This is some of the, the hardest teachings in the Bible. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me. I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. Now, let me tell you something about debtor's prison. One, America does not have debtor's prison. The second thing is in the first century in Rome, they had debtor's prison. Debtor's prison was not a country club. Debtor's prison was a really nasty place to go. In fact, it was a lot worse than other prisons because this is why. Like, I never understood this. Like, why would you send somebody to debtor's prison? Because then you cut off their ability to make money, right? I'm in prison. I'm making license plates. I get cigarettes for payment. I am not going to be able to come up with millions of dollars. It made no sense until I figured out and found out what debtor's prison was in the first century. If you were in debt and couldn't pay, this is what happened to you. You would be sent to a place where they had specially trained people. And they would send you a place like the Princess Bride, like in the pit of despair. (laughs) And they have people trained to torture you. Why would they torture you? You got no money, right? You can torture me all day long. Not literally, but 
if I don't have the money to pay you, there's no point to it. Well, you see, they would make these people's lives so miserable and torture them and hurt them and make them pay for the one reason. They would make it public because they wanted anybody who gave, who cared about that person, that they would do all that they could to raise the money to get out of the pit of despair. So, God here is saying, you know what? I release you, I forgive you of your debt. But when the man left the king, he went to, the fellow, to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me. I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put into prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything had happened. Then the king called to the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant. Now, Jesus is trying to make a very clear point here. And, I, and, and the point is how God feels about grace, the grace that he has given us. And to this person who was given grace... He says, look, you are evil. You are evil. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Some of the harshest teachings, some of the harshest words recorded in the Bible reserved for those of us who have accepted and received grace. You see, this is what I know. Jesus is painting a picture of here of, of the debt that was paid what was the debt that was paid? Sin on the, on the world. Our debt. Eternal separation from our Father in heaven. That we have no idea what it cost to have the opportunity to have a restored relationship with our Father in heaven. We think we know. We think that we have an inkling. We, we have a picture of Jesus on the cross and that in His final moments He shouts out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we think we understand what that means, but we have no clue how much that cost Him. We have no clue what it is to be in eternity in a perfect relationship and to willingly leave that and be separated for a time in order to make room for grace 
to pay a price to come and then finally, not only to be removed physically from the Trinity, but to be moved, removed emotionally and spiritually for three days. We think we understand that, but we don't. And what God is trying to present here, what Jesus is trying to tell us is like, you have no idea. I am, I am going to, in the future, in the story of the context of the story, pay the ultimate price that you can't even comprehend. And you know what? If you are truly a follower of me, that you need to be the conduit of this love and mercy. And just because you have been hurt, somebody else, that it is incumbent upon you to be so overwhelmed with that love that you have the ability now to love and forgive those around you. Paul put it this way. In Colossians 3.13, he said, Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. You know what the problem with people who offend you are? You know what the problem with those people? They're offensive. They're not easy to love. They're not easy to forgive. When you are hurt, it is not easy to love. It is not easy to forgive. Unless one thing. Unless we truly have taken on ourselves and understand what it means to walk with Jesus that we have spent time with Him and have been so filled with His love and His mercy and His grace that we are able to be the conduits of that to others. Remember, grace is unmerited favor. Don't deserve it. You can't earn it. It is a gift. It is a gift. I want to give you something really practical coming out of this. Because I think a lot of people get all just tied up and tripped up over grace. Because they think, oh, if I'm grace, they're just going to get away with it and they're just going to go and do whatever they want and, and I'm you know, going to just be taken advantage of and, and things like that. You know, you cannot have grace void of a relationship. That there's a relational aspect. And you know what? If we truly love one another, we want that person to live out the life that God has envisioned for them. And unfortunately, so many times our eyes are blinded to those things. And that's why it's important, like we were talking about last week, earlier on in Matthew 18, that it is important for us to sit down 
and to be honest and open with one another when we're hurt and then to talk about the things that move us closer to the heart and mind of God. And this balance of, of relationship and discipleship with grace is just this. Number one, when somebody hurts you or has wronged you, you know what? You go and you speak to them. If somebody is, is falling trap into, into something that's self-destructive or, and destroying the community around them, you go to them. And you hopefully have earned the relational right to speak truth into their life. But before you do that, you do this. This is what you do. So-and-so, call them by name because their name is important. I commit to you. I make a covenant with you that I want to let you know that I am on your side and I am willing to walk through the wilderness with you in this issue. And what I'm about to tell you is not a condition. It's not a to-do list for my acceptance of you. But I am about to speak this into you because I so desperately love you, and I want you to experience the life that God has envisioned for you. And you can put that in your own words, but somehow before you speak about the negative, you speak about the relationship. And you let them know that you are committed to them. And after you do that, you then you say, you know what? You hurt me at this place or you, I think you're missing it here or your, your substance abuse or whatever is, is messing you up and it's messing those around you up. And that doesn't mean that I want to expel you from community. It doesn't mean I want to end our relationship. But what it does mean is that we have been put here together for a purpose and it is my desire to walk with you. You see the difference? Always, always look for the restoration of the relationship. That is what God has called us to do. One final thing and I'll be done. It is so my desire, and God has shown me this, that this needs to be a place that when people open the doors after they've set, stepped on a mine of life, that they, are, they experience God's grace. That, you know what? There's been problems, there's been hurt, there's been mess up, but this is a place where there is wide open spaces of grace in a place that will help people get closer to the heart and mind of God. And there's only one way that that can happen. And that's if all of us live 
the grace that God has shown us out every single day to those around us. You guys pray with me. Dear Lord, pain and hardship and and hurt, divorce and anxiety and depression and theft and and prison and, and hurting one another and bad attitudes and substance abuse and the the list goes on and on and on and god we know that every single place on earth people can find conditional acceptance god you have called us to be different to be a place of wide open spaces of grace a place when people walk in, that they are enveloped by the unforced rhythm of grace. God, let us be a place where we can belong and grow and be the conduits of your love and mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.